Hello and welcome to Flatris. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing Daring and the Duke by Sarah McLean. So this was published just this month in 2020 and of course it's our new release for July. So technically it was released on June 30th but I think it's okay that we're releasing our episode two weeks afterwards. Well, we had to get it, and then we had to read it, and then we had to record it. We're not machines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Two weeks is uh, pretty good for us. <laughs> pretty good. And this is number three in the Bare Knuckle Bastard series, uh, it, which we recently have reviewed both the first and the second. So this is kind of great. We get to wrap it all up. Overall, preview of my impression, because this is the last one. This is a trilogy. I think this is my favorite series by Sarah McLean. Ooh, interesting. I have individual books I like from other series. Right. But I think I liked all three of these a lot. Okay, okay, that's very interesting. I think my favorite series is The Rules of Scoundrels. Okay. But it's okay, we can disagree. I mean, it's not like we. I hated Rules of Scoundrels. Yeah, yeah. I think... I think you, I think you really like the fairy tale stuff, so. I'm predictable and easy, what do you want me to say? <laughs> you know what, give us, if you give us certain things, you know we're going to like it, so yep. whatever. All right, <laughs> so let's get into it with the jacket. Grace Condry has spent a lifetime running from her past, betrayed as a child by her only love and raised on the streets. She now hides in plain sight as queen of London's darkest corners. Grace has a sharp mind and a powerful right hook, and has never met an enemy she could not best, until the man she once loved returns. Single-minded and ruthless, Ewan, Duke of Marwick, has spent a decade searching for the woman he never stopped loving. A long-ago gamble may have lost her forever, but Ewan will go to any lengths to win Grace back and make her his duchess. Reconciliation is the last thing Grace desires. Unable to forgive the past, she vows to take her revenge. But revenge requires keeping Ewan close, and soon her enemy seems to be something else altogether, something she can't resist, even as he threatens the world she's built, the life she's claimed, and the heart she swore he'd never steal again. I'm fine with this jacket. I mean, it's fine. The only thing I have an issue with is that he says he spent a decade looking for her. He spent 20 years looking for her. This is long. No, he. the Duke died 10 years ago. Yeah, the Duke died 10 years ago, and 10 years before that is when Grace left. Right, but... I think he's only been actively trying to find her for 10 years because he only started looking for her when the Duke died. All right. Um, well, that that's my biggest, not my biggest, but one of my big issues. I don't know if you remember, we reviewed something a while ago and I was like, 10 years is way too long. It was, it was seven like years, years and it was the ugly Duchess. Yeah, I was like, this is way too long. Um, and I got here and I was like, 20 fucking years. I was like, that's too long. <laughs> I mean, it's been tough. So as usual, we wrote our own summaries, um, and the random number we generated this episode was 44. So Meg, what was your 44-word summary? Uh, okay, 
here it goes. And so I also, I had to one up, not one up, but I, I wanted to be like Lane. And so I, I did sing a little bit for this summary. So here we go. 20 years ago, Ewan and Grace fell in love. Of course, as the song goes, the first cut is the deepest. But that's not counting the gash Ewan cut into his brother's face as he tried to kill Grace. This book is their second chance. Or the cut that their father made in Ewan. <laughs> so many cuts. So my summary gets at that. My 44 word summary. Scars, feuds, secret tattoos. Ewan finds out Grace is alive when she nurses him back to health and then beats the shit out of him and banishes him. So he comes back really hot to win back Grace and the favor of Covent Garden. It's fair. I so, <laughs> yeah. So the I mean the main the main trope for this book is second chance romance, obviously. Mm-hmm. But Ewan was also the villain in the first two books. Yeah. So I thought sort of. Yeah. I thought I was gonna have a big problem with Ewan's redemption art. For some reason I had no problem with it. I don't know. I, I really thought that she, he was gonna have to do a lot more than he did even in this book. <laughs> I have a couple of different thoughts about that. For those of you who don't remember, in the first two books, Grace's brothers, who she's run Covent Garden with, I'm just going to use the simplistic terms and not yes. get into the details of how everyone's actually connected. Please, yes. Um, her brothers convinced you and Grace was actually dead. And he went bonkers trying to find them an exact revenge with a couple of harebrained schemes that almost resulted in injury and death of devil beast and their beloved and did result in the death of five Covent Garden kids. And so it didn't, like, he's not the one who held the gun, but like he was trying to disrupt their smuggling operations. And so his bandits got in fights with their bandits and people died. Like he was responsible for a lot of bad. But what I find interesting is throughout the text, Devil, Beast, and Grace all seem to be more upset at what Ewan did 13 years ago. I mean, 20 years ago when they were all- I was gonna say, no, 20 years. (laughs) 20 years ago when they were all 13 and not with like the recent tragedy he's actually done. Yeah. Because what he did when he was 13, spoiler free version, his motivations were pure. Right. Like it wasn't that bad in well, so. and I will say they really forgave him once he was like, look, I had nothing else to live for. I thought Grace was dead. And they're like, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I would go nuts, too. That's fair. I, I think <laughs> I just bought like, into this idea that they have their own sense of right and wrong and justice. Mm-hmm. And so if all of the characters were going to be like, yeah, man, would have done the same. I was just going to accept it and let it roll. Yeah, but, I don't like, know. I think, I, I think if they really obsessed over, like, the stuff he'd done recently, it would have been a lot harder for me to buy these redemption arcs. But because it was really, you betrayed us 20 years ago. No, I didn't. Oh, we've lost so much time. I actually liked it more. <laughs> I, I really, truly, like, thought that I was going to have major issues with his villain arc, his redemption arc. And I, like, totally did it. I was like, well, okay, that's cool. Yeah, I didn't either. Um, so one of the biggest tropes in this series is no heirs for the Duke. 
So they were, as we've disclosed in the previous books, forced into some weird child Hunger Games battle royale. Right. Only one of them was going to be Duke. And the father played, like, psychological mind games with all four of them. So the only thing they always agreed on was whoever became the Duke would never reproduce or carry on the line. Right. Um, it's it's the total, like, we, we've seen this actually in another Sarah McLean book. Um, but anyway, the, it's the whole thing where they're like, I'm going to take revenge on my father by not carrying on the line. And... Like, I get it, but I also am like, your dad's dead now, so, like, who cares, you know? They come up with a very clever solution to it in this book that I actually really liked. They do. I liked it. At the same time, I'm like, that's a lot of money that you could be using to help out. But they have so much money. Anyway, I don't want to spoil it. Moving on. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, Grace has a secret tattoo reminder. Yes. Which, here's the thing. Did I appreciate the sentiment in that moment? Yes. Do I think that's the dumbest tattoo I've ever heard of? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, it was it was fine. I guess I'm just not a tattoo person. <laughs> Guys, it's not art. That's all I'll say. <laughs> no, it's that's, not, that's it's, it too. It's not an aversion to tattoos. It's what is described here is purely sentimental. Not yeah. in any way aesthetic. Yes, it's true. It's very true. We have a lot of hurt comfort in this book. Obviously, the Covent Garden kids grew up fighting and still fight in the streets. And one of the ways Ewan has to prove himself is several fights, but Grace can't stand to watch him hurt. So there's so much hurt comfort in this book. It's the gold standard. It is. It is. And then, yes, I mean, how, why does he get hurt, Lane? Because he's, like, the best fighter ever, but he pulls his punches because he doesn't actually want to hurt them. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's it, basically. So he... And then I, I actually... So he pulled his punches, didn't want to actually hurt them, and then he's like, oh, shit, they're going to basically kill me. And he's like, maybe I shouldn't have pulled some of those punches. But it happened several times, and even, like, in the resolution, part of the way that Grace and Devil and Beast realize that they believe that Ewan was trying to do the right thing all those years ago is because they all basically realize like oh if he wanted to kill us he would have succeeded yeah right? yeah the definitely didn't actually kill anybody is evidence of the fact that he wasn't actually trying to it's that line in every action movie if I had wanted you dead you would be dead yeah you know <laughs> yeah That's, Ewan is I pictured him especially Post one year sabbatical for his own mental health, which let me just preach, I loved. I love that the hero's response to being rejected by the heroine for all the batshit stuff he'd just done was to go off by himself and work on his mental health and work on his physical self and like fix his own shit. Yeah. And then come back to win her and not like hope that she'd be his fucking therapist. Yes. I do wish, so if this were a movie, I know this would have happened. I wish there had been, like, some vignettes. Like, it was, like, three months later. He's, I don't know, threw out, threw out all the, it, basically, it would, if this were a movie, he'd be, like, pouring his brandy down the thing. And you then, wanted, like, like, a full, 
what's the mon- well, montage, but like a Rocky montage. Yeah. You him running up the steps. That's that's exactly what I wanted. I would have loved like a, a you know how in Twilight there's just like the blank pages to symbolize what's going on. I would have liked um, a chapter that was like Grace, you know, Grace did this, and then the man, blah blah blah, did this. I don't know. I would have liked to have a little bit of insight about what happened during that year. I still just, this is to compare it to a lot of other bad boy redeemed type books. I'm so glad that he didn't work through his issues. Like, didn't expect her to work through them for him, basically. Yes. No, I I agree. And that was my biggest issue with the first book, actually, in the series, was how much emotional labor was put on the heroine. Yeah. So... So I, I do appreciate that he was like, yeah, I got to work on myself to make myself worthy of this woman. I just blew up a dock. I've clearly lost it. <laughs> right? Yeah. He's like, you know, I may have gone a little too far and I need to make sure that I can like pull myself back together. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. All right. So I see in your notes you didn't love Grace. Uh, yeah, I was a little bit let down. I think because she was really built up in the first few books. And I think I think that's a big part of it, is that you didn't see her a lot in the first few books. And mm-hmm. so you're like, wow, Grace is going to be awesome. And it's really hard to live up to that, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the other element to it for me is this is definitely a strong woman brought to her knees by a guy trope. Like, Grace is so capable, but is tired of being capable because she's been capable because she felt like she didn't have you in and now she has him. And, like, there's a lot of stuff going on there. Yeah. But I also feel like what I liked about this book is for all that it was this angsty second chance romance, in theory, they're in conflict. They actually never really are. No. No, and I think, I don't know if I was let down. I don't know if I was so I think I actually ended up really liking that. Yeah. And I think inherently the fact that they were sort of trying to work through their issues and work together from the very beginning lessened the opportunities for her to be a badass. Yeah. Like, look less if they were in more conflict. Maybe. Her whole thing is, so I, I guess we're jumping slightly ahead to sexiness. Because she's like, I'm going to go do some reconnaissance at this ball and find out what he's doing. So they get there, and what do they do? Like, they, they like literally go and have a very heavy... I was going to say, um, I've copyrighted this. It's a waltz and a fondle. Yes, that's what it is. And they go to the freaking conservatory, and, like, it's, like, major sex. It's not a conservatory. It's an outdoor maze with a secret door, Meg. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> But I just was like, really? Like, you go to do some reconnaissance? And she's like, eh, you know what? I'm just going to get some. I also love that during that whole sequence, she doesn't think he knows her. I was like, come on, Grace. Have you seen the wigs from that era? They're not good. Right? Well, and the thing is, too, I'm like, come on, Grace. Like, you know he's going to know who you are. You guys are, this is a, this is a, a remembered thing like you guys were linked at birth you were born on the same day and like you know grew up somehow fated to be together and he doesn't know who you are I don't think so and I know she like suspects but she really wants to believe he didn't 
do all of this for her and it's like oh girl wake up yeah I thought of you during the scene where Beast and Devil make fun of each other for both needing a near-death experience to fall in love. Uh, Lane, can I tell you that I didn't have a book that I could bookmark. I literally took a picture and <laughs> underlined that part. <laughs> <laughs> so it, and who said it? I believe that it is, I don't know if it's Wit or if it's Hattie that says it. Mm -hmm. Or not, not Hattie. Um, Felicity, uh, Felicity. it's definitely a devil so he I think it's Felicity because she says it took them both near-death experiences to know what they wanted and I was like I laughed out loud not because of the line being so funny and it was but because I thought of you reading that line uh -huh. I literally underlined it and I underlined a different one too I'm going to read this one to you so this is my thing with Sarah McLean I say that in every book she has a part where she says he would have done this except blah 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 and here it is. It was actually came in twice in this book, but I didn't underline the first one. Second one, it was time to tell her. And he might have, he might have explained then, might have begun the work of telling her the truth. And it might have been enough, except she wasn't finished. <laughs> I, I really don't want to spoil this book because I think it sounds like you were also very pleasantly surprised by the resolution to a second chance trope, which is not our favorite thing. Yes. And, and I was I was actually surprised by the ending. I liked the ending. I liked the ending. I, I liked I it. I definitely yeah. liked it. I liked how he thought about it and figured something out. I'm slightly disappointed. The, the one thing that I was let down by the ending was that she was like, no, what am I doing? I need to go save him. Instead of being like, he needs to figure his shit out. Because he was figuring his shit out. Right. Like, and th but I liked that. I liked when you realized he hadn't just, like, run away with his tail between his legs. Yeah, no, I loved that part. That's what I, I loved. I just didn't I like her. Like, the whole book is him asking her, what do you want, what do you want, what do you want? And I feel like her chasing after him was her finally acknowledging what she wanted. Yeah, I guess. And I think it is a, a little bit of a reversal. Like, I think it's usually the man in these books who does that. Who's like, <laughs> oh, no, actually, I do want whatever. Um, but I, I would have liked it just a little bit more if she had not run after him to be like, oh, I, I, I do want you no matter what. Yeah, I think I, I just really enjoyed it. Yeah. And it's funny for being like one of the angstiest tropes. I felt like these characters were really consistent. And most of the time, if I bought into their weird, like, rookery justice, everything yeah. made sense. No, I, I definitely agree. I do think that made sense. I don't think it's realistic. No, 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 no. Like, this, none of this is acceptable in real life, but I'm, like, accepting rookery justice. Right, right. Well, and, like, the whole thing about how Grace was, like, the fighter. And, again, yet again, we've got the thing where, you know, she was, like, fighting and she has no no blemishes on her face. Well, not only that, they're trying to tell me a 13-year-old girl dropped in Covent Garden was more valuable as a fighter than as a prostitute. Yeah. Like, no, 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 I'm dispensing with logic and I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah. That's, that was fine. Question for you, was you in a virgin? He wasn't. I'm pretty sure he wasn't a virgin. I really wanted him to be. I was wondering if the only reason he wasn't a virgin is because he'd had sex with Grace. And, I don't think so. But then there was that scene where the father caught them just kissing and I was like, mm. oh, no, never mind. 
Yeah, I, I, I would have to be a virgin. Maybe yes, yeah. He couldn't. He couldn't have been a virgin. If he were a virgin, they would have. It would have been talked about. I know, but it was kind of alluded to that there hadn't. Like Grace said, I have. Two, I've had two lovers. Yeah. Where Ewan just avoids the topic every time. And yeah. The most shocking thing would be me up here with a woman, and it's like, why? I guess yeah. you haven't had many, but I would like a more specific thought from you on your history. Oh, I've definitely, you know me, I would have loved it if they had been any, any discussion of it. And especially if he was like, I, oh, you know, just couldn't, if he was said like, I couldn't see a prostitute because I grew up in a brothel and I know what that's like. Yeah. Like well, totally would have gotten. I also do feel like a 33 year old man who'd been pining for 20 years would have won so many points from both of us <laughs> for fidelity. Oh my God! We uh, like uh, him for whatever. We would have overlooked. Yes, we would have overlooked everything we didn't like about this book and been like, "This is our favorite book ever." <laughs> so, did anything about this book offend you? So yes, um, the so I, again, I wasn't offended by the way he was redeemed, which is what I was afraid of. But in how prostitution is talked about, right? And I do realize that. To be a male prostitute servicing women is a different thing than, you know, to be a female prostitute in Covent Garden servicing, you know, all comers. Um, at the same time, he she takes him around this brothel. He grew up in a brothel. His mother was a whore. He specifically talks about how terrible it was, right? And he walks around and she's like, so what do you think? And he's like, this is amazing. And I was like, don't, couldn't you have like slightly more complex feelings about it? You know? The issue of like glamorized safe prostitution came up in The Lord I Left. It's come up in this series. It came up in Suddenly You and all of the other Clavis books that referenced Bradshaw's. And I am starting to feel a little bit weird about it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I think specifically in this book, too, they talk about how it's like empowering to women to be able to hire prostitutes, right? It's like, oh, men objectify us, so let's objectify them. Men hire prostitutes, so let's us hire some prostitutes, too. I'm just like, this is the kind of feminism that I don't love. Yeah, and it's often portrayed in romance novels when prostitution isn't involved as young women who have popped out that Aaron the Spare getting to have their dalliances with young bucks. And even all of that comes down to the relationship between sex and power. Yes. And I don't ever feel like that conversation is had in the texts. And I, yes. I'm with you. I'm not quite as, like, it didn't bother me while I was reading it. But reflecting, yeah. except for that moment where Ewan, who grew up in a brothel, was like, your brothel's cool. Yeah. But I, I am starting to think more about, you know, the flip side of the over-glamorization of prostitution and of prostitutes themselves. Yeah. Even when they're men, just because I think that, like, it's not handled super complexly. Well, and I mean, I have 
read maybe one or two novels where the hero or heroine was a former sex worker. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about like a mistress, which is like, I feel like a different thing. But I'm talking about like an actual prostitute who sees different people and they don't have like a monogamous mm-hmm. relationship with one person. Um, and again, I've only read like two total ever. Uh, and in both of them, for that person, it was like a very shameful thing that they had to get over. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, I don't know. I'm actually thinking of a, a different Sarah McLean, um, a, a Scott in the Dark. That's Tessa Dare, isn't it? No, that's when it's got ties and odd. It's got in the dark is the the second one in the the Scandalous S's series. Oh yes, where the Scottish guy, all of his friends sold him to their sisters. Okay. Yes, um, and it was it like harmed him for life. It was like the worst thing ever, and. I mean, that wasn't, like, amazing, but at the same time, I was like, well, I do think that 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 was missing completely from this book. Yeah, well, and not only that, there's one of the gigolos at the club ends up marrying one of his customers at the end, or, like, going to live with her forever. Yeah. It's very weird. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know if I'm, like, getting prudish (laughs) as I get older. I don't know if I'm just thinking about it more I don't know yeah the the other thing I'd flag and this isn't so much offensiveness as a trigger warning like clearly all of these characters have PTSD Mm -hmm. they were child hunger game participants yeah and these books ultimately are very fairy tale-y they are yeah and you know, a lot of kids in fairy, like, characters in real fairy tales should have had PTSD. I'm not saying that, like, every author has to really delve into trauma to be authentic. But just a trigger warning that, like, these kids are abused and they reflect on their abuse. And then yeah. they're, oh, they all suffer mental health consequences, but they're all sort of waved under the rug in the name of writing these fairy tales. Yeah. So, like, I'm not, that's not a criticism. It's just something to be aware of. Definitely. I also noticed in this book that there were a lot of tertiary characters who were passively mentioned to be of another race than white. Yeah, yeah. Like they were black or they were Indian or they were... It was, I think I noticed at least two black people and a couple others of ambiguous origin that were just mm-hmm. described as non-white. And clearly it's the equivalent of blind casting, right? Like these characters don't have backstories, their racial identity, and their the way that that impacts them living in Victorian era England is not delved into. Yeah. So it's, I mean, I don't think it's an argument we need to have here or a discussion we need to have because it's been hashed out in the media a ton. Like, at what point is blind casting helpful because it increases exposure? Yeah. And prevents whitewashing versus at what point is it irresponsible to have characters of another race but then not deal with the way that that would impact their lives? Yeah, no. I mean, I did, I also noticed uh, myself, and it didn't, I, it was a little like, oh, Grace is really great because she hires people of other races, which is mm, a little. But it wasn't even just in the brothel. Now, none of the people of other races were prostitutes. They were all employed in other 
capacities. No, they were all employed in other capacities. Like one was an opera singer, one was one of Grace's enforcers. Right. But and but there was also a couple like washerwomen in the alley of Covent Garden that they stumble upon and they're mentioned on being a like mixed race crowd. And so it's it, like I said, I don't necessarily think it's right or wrong. It's just something to note. I know some people have really strong opinions about not making a point about mentioning racial identity unless you intend to explore that in text. Mm-hmm. It clearly doesn't. Other people are just glad to see, you know, characters of diverse racial backgrounds being included in text. Yeah, no, definitely. So uh, how sexy was this book? I loved every sex scene in this book. This oh, book was extremely sexy. I mean, Sarah McLean knows how to write some hot sex. No, sure. that knows how to write sexual tension. Evan and you and, and Grace have wanted each other for 20 fucking years, and you feel all of those years. Yeah, 20 years was a little long for me, especially since they were 13 when they both met. Like, they met when they were 13, and then also she ran away when they were 13? No, they met when they were, like, 11. Okay, sorry. They, they met when they were, like, 11. And so then when they were 13, they, like, kissed and cuddled a little bit, which I think is developmentally appropriate. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> but then I was like, I don't know. I, for me, you were like, we're talking about a book that's, like, super fairy tale. These four kids were born on the same day to four different mothers. Mm-hmm. So there's all this stuff that I'm, like, trying to believe. For me, the hardest thing to accept was the fact that this 13-year-old crush was, like, the love of her life forever. I remember the guy I had a crush on when I was 13. Clearly, I have not ended up with my 13-year-old crush. That said, I'm along for the fairy tale. You know me. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Yep, this makes sense. I do. Okay. My, I had one issue, one issue, only one, with the sex scenes in this book. And it's that there's this huge emphasis on pleasure and women's pleasure and ladies' pleasure. Like, the, the book, I did a word search. The book was used 99 times in this entire book, the word pleasure. And most of the time it was talking about like the ladies' pleasure, a mutual pleasure, the same access to pleasure for women as for men. Mm-hmm. So there's this huge emphasis on women taking their pleasure. Like literally, that's like the word, that's the, that's the euphemism that she uses for sex or for um, orgasm is like taking her pleasure. Um, and if you notice again, that, that word was used 99 times. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of sex in this book. Um, but the second sex scene, she just like totally goes down on him, which again is fine. But I also was like, okay, let's get to the, let's get to the ladies pleasure here. Yeah. That was during her comfort scene. Once again, I was fine with it. (laughs) He'd just taken his licks and she was making him feel better. Okay. Right, I know, but I was like, "Uh uh-uh, this is all about Ewan trying to make it up to Grace, so make it up to her, boy. (laughs) He he then does again later, so it's... He does, it's fine, I just, for me, I was like, meh. (laughs) But then that's just, you know, that that is, I think, just a personal... um, opinion <laughs> no well like in the raven prince it, it actually they they talk about it so she she does go down on him and she's like hmm do i want to do this and she's like yeah i you know it's kind of turning me on so i'll do it and i like liked that right like i get the thought of pleasuring someone is inherently sexy yeah and even like 
pleasuring someone can be inherently powerful. But there is some obsession in romance novels about the power of a blowjob specifically that yes. I don't get. I don't get it either. Okay. I don't get um, why it's exceptional and worthy of specific mention. I don't know. It's like the powerful thing. Yeah. But uh, this book was uh, really hot, though. Um, it's really hot even when they're calling each other in an alley within listening slash sight lines of other people. Usually, yeah. I'm like, come on. I was like, no, I get it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I got it. I also, but this is part of the reason why I was a little let down by Grace, because if she was really, like, all this pissed off, she could, she could manage, she could, like, hold it back to be like, I'm not going to make out with you in the alley in front of people who are going to tell my brothers that I'm making out with our sworn enemy. She was, like... He has powers over her. <laughs> they are faded. Their eyes connect, and there's nothing either of them can do. I see. What did you think about her outfits, by the way? I want all of them. Yeah. Were you? Yeah. Did you like the corset over trousers with like a frock coat? Um, that's basically the, what she wore all the time. I pictured it less as a frock coat and more as like a pirate cape sort of thing. That's how I pictured it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love the description of the, like, really luxe jewel tone fabrics. Yeah. And I like that outfit more for a street fighter than dresses. Like, I like that there was some nod to her lifestyle in her attire. Yeah. No, I liked it. I think for me it was more, every time I saw it, I just kept thinking of some character from, like, Soul Calibur or something. Oh, no, <laughs> she is very video game character, Carolyn. Right? She was, like, totally the female Cervantes or something. Well, and even, like, the obsession with describing her over-the-knee boots. Yeah. I was like, okay, like, I'm pretty sure Sarah McLean has, like, Grace character art tacked up in her bedroom. Yeah. Well, she basically wore, it was very video gamey because it, she basically wore the same thing, but in different colors. And, and the lining of her coat always matched her corset. Yes. Which no. I, I didn't hate, but I definitely was, like, scrolling in my mind scrolling through the different outfits you know <laughs> I unequivocally loved it because I don't view this book as having any attempt at realism whatsoever that is so fair yes I'm accepting rookery justice as like valid criminal conduct uh, you're like so, let's do it go for it cool she has embroidered gold corsets she wears with embroidered embroidered gold coats sure sure she looks like a badass. Let's do it. <laughs> so basically, we uh, really recommend this book. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, I was not let down by this series finale. And as I think we said at the beginning, neither Meg and I gravitate towards second chance romance. We think most of the time guys are irredeemable douchebags, and then you have to watch them try to be redeemed, and it's stupid. I felt like Ewan was redeemed. Yeah, yeah. They did a good job of explaining that he was not all that bad. And again, I think you just have to ex you just have to accept the fairy tale, and then you're like, yeah, that all makes sense. Yeah. So as always, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy, please rate, review, and subscribe.